Hi, my friends. I do this work with all my heart for you. So please contribute generously to Future Primitive. Hi, my friends who listen to Future Primitive. Today is my day to be with Jeremy Berg. Jeremy Berg works as an educator, artist, writer, and publisher, and has been associated with Lorian since 1976. He is part of the Lorian faculty and provides teachings and technical services for Lorian education, as well as working as a publisher owner of Lorian Press and Starseed Publications. He says, I trained as an architectural designer with a focus on energy efficiency and earth-sheltered construction, serving as a college dean and vice president, as well as a teaching alternative energy discipline. This background has served my explorations both as an artist and as a Lorian priest. He is the author of Gathering the Light, Fairy Blood, an artist for the card deck of the She, which is written S-I-D-H-E. Jeremy offers classes using the card deck of the she as part of the Lorian faculty and writes occasionally in the community blog. Welcome, welcome, Jeremy. Well, thank you, Joanna. Um, nice hearing about yourself. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, how about this she? What uh, could you could you tell us? what that is, this mysterious word that's written not at all how it's pronounced. Well, I'll do my best. And I have to, I, I, I have to say that um, the, when I first encountered the word from John Matthews, when I published his book, The She, Wisdom from the Celtic Otherworld, in 2004, it's, like you say, it's... it's um, uh, the letters are S-I-D-H-E, um, and, it, and I was calling it Sidhi, Sidhi, Sidhi. And John, we were having a phone conversation, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, the Sidhi. And she said, oh, you mean the she. And apparently it's a Gaelic word that means people of peace. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a long tradition um, that goes really way back into prehistory around, um, you know, other beings who share the planet with us. And one of those groups of beings have been called the She by the, by the, the Gaelic people. By others, they're sometimes referred to the fairy races, the Tuatha Dé Danann, the, um, in Tolkien's work, the closest thing might be the elves. And so you have a lot of, a lot of writing, a lot of imagery, a lot of uh, story.
fairies around around the she, around the the fairy world, and um, you know there's a huge amount of fiction, of course, around it too. Now I want to make one distinction before we go too too far into this, and that is there's there's a another branch of well there, there's a there's a whole tradition in theosophy and other esoteric writing of what they call fairies, it especially came came in the beginning of the last century uh, around theosophy, you know, they had these pictures of little fairies and things. What they were really referring to and drawing pictures of and things was what I would call the elemental kingdom or the, the nature beings. That is not what I'm talking about. To me, the she are, they, they are a inner branch of humanity that some way, sometime way back, we branched off, you know, and if you look at it like a cladistic evolutionary tree, you might say, you know, there's a branching at some point between um, what was at one time a unified uh, group of beings, the humanity, into these two branches, and probably more than two, but but at least these two, one that we would call the modern humanity and, and the other the she. This is very, very important, and uh, I, uh, I would like you to travel to before that split and elaborate on that. I would be happy to. I must say that um, what, I'm, what I'm speaking to are, are actually, it's a condensation of conversations that both David Spangler and myself have had with the right. So when I was over in Scotland um, a while back, I had I was giving a talk to the Findhorn uh, community in, in northern Scotland, which has been around for 50-some years, and um, it's a wonderful community who started out working with the elemental beings and the intelligence of nature and building this wonderful garden. And anyway, so my wife and I were there, and I was going to give a talk on the she, and I went for a run and was tapped on the shoulder by the group, the sort of local Scottish clan of she. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and they basically downloaded this whole story of, of the history of uh, humanity and the she. And so I will give a brief synopsis of oh, this. Oh, this is fascinating. So, and this, this is uh, further co- corroborated by uh, David Spangler's contact with a... With a she being a star priestess we have called Mariel. So if you imagine way back at the sort of beginning and the formation of the earth and the development of, you know, there's this long, well, four billion year long history of the, of the evolution of the, of the biosphere of the earth, maybe 3.5 billion, and there's all these wonderful um, flows of life, you know, from the, you know, the Cambrian explosion and, you know, and the Permian extinction. And there's all these, you know, the KT junction with the the elimination of dinosaurs somewhere along this line. So you have this evolutionary history on the planet. But from my perspective, you also have a spiritual dimension or a dimension in the subtle worlds of life flowing sort of at a right angle to all of that evolution. It's flowing into matter. It's flowing 
from deeper spiritual realms into the material world and the, um, the world of our earth, which to me also is a spiritual domain. So at some point, the, the, let's call her Gaia, a yes. planetary soul, uh, is, puts out a call and says, hey, I'm doing this work, I'm doing this fun thing over here, you know, third third planet from the from the star we call the sun, and and I have these goals. I'm trying to do this and that and those and you know different things. And one of the beings that responds mm-hmm. is, from my perspective, is humanity, and says, "Oh, we would like to help." So we come into this relationship with the planet. Now. That's a long story, and, you know, we know the, you know, you can go back into evolutionary history and and humanity, you know, you have Astralopithecus and you have hominids and you have all this stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Like I say, though, you have this other, from my perspective, you have this other flow of life coming from subtle dimensions coming in. Uh And so humanity is one group. At some point... Some of humanity says, hey, we would like to go and involve ourselves even deeper into the clay of matter. And another part of the human group says, hmm, that's a, that's a risky business. <laughs> and because there's, there's a certain earth magic that, that is there, and when you combine that with human magic, or let's just call it energies or, or spirit or whatever you want to call it, there's a, there's a volatile mix there, potentially. And we're having a lot of fun where we are, because the domain in which we're all, you know, humanity is now existing and functioning is a more fluid domain. It's more, it's more responsive to our thought and our desires and, our, and our, just our creative will. So you have a group of humanity that's, that's, let's call it an art project. You have this art project going on. You have this group of beings building a world, creative work, and then you have another group of humanity that's going deeper into the what I've called the clay of matter or the fluidity of matter. And that was fine. We all saw ourselves at that point as one humanity. But over time the differences between the occupation of different worlds started to, to tell. And, you know, we can see lots of analogies on our current planet. You know, people that, you know, live in a certain, like Australia. You know, the Aboriginal people, when uh, Europeans came to Australia, they were quite different. They had quite different values and quite different physical shape, actually, when, when they met. Mm-hmm. And there was conflict there. There still is conflict there, and that's almost true of all the, you know, all the <laughs> conditions that happen on the planet. But you can imagine what that... Uh, so those kinds of problems started uh-huh. to develop, the differences in communication. Yes. And what developed out of that was a desire to have times of gathering. So something akin to a stone circle started to develop. And the, the stone circle is a kind of metaphor in a way. It's a gathering place. So I, and my understanding is in the early years, uh, you know, this is way back now. We're talking a long time ago. <laughs> uh, 
ancient prehistory. Mm-hmm. In the ancient times, the there were you know there were beings, there were great teachers that held the safety of the gathering place, so that human beings and she could gather together in celebratory you know fairs, uh, Renaissance times you know fairs. Yes, yes. Um, and so so you had these uh, a tradition starting of regular gatherings and interflowing um, life between the she and humanity. This is, this is um, the story we were told. And over time, these beings who are holding this space were started, started to be, the space they were holding started to be held by these great stones, what we would call the stone circles. Now, to this day, when you go to some place like Stonehenge, yes. you can feel that energy. You can feel that. You can feel that safety zone. Now it's obviously uh, mostly corroded <laughs> and broken down, right. and the whole system of standing stones, of which at one time there were fifty thousand of them uh-huh. in Europe, that whole tradition has fallen apart. But the echo of that experience and that connection is still there with us today. And that's the point of the, the reason the stone circle came out, according to our chief friends who brought it to us and gave it to us, was it's, it's to remind us that we can go there, we can hold a space of collaborative friendship and hospitality that can invite in subtle life other life, and humanity can once again start to communicate with the full range of life that's on the planet, not just the she, mm-hmm. but also all kinds of other subtle beings, including the life of the ecology, you know, the trees, the birds, yes, yes. The, the, the land, the ocean, the, you know, the sky. Um, so this is part of, a, to me, a greater phenomenon of uh, uh, an awakening humanity to its true nature. Well, it's it's interesting because I was thinking, well, you and David Spangler and uh, later, um, excuse me, Marian, uh, David Spangler's wife, Marian. Uh, actually, it's Julie. He has he has a daughter, uh, Marin. Oh, it's Marin who contributed to the to the deck, right? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. yes. You you created this deck, which, in a sense, this card deck that you call a portable stone circle. It's yeah. it's so that so that we could have our own stone circle and communicate with it. Yes, it becomes. Um, it was an interesting phenomenon because David's. David Spangler's work has worked a lot over the years with with subtle beings of varying types, but hadn't done a lot with the she. And I was quite interested in it. And I was, you know, like I say, I had published John Matthews' book, and I was kind of pushing David, like, hey, could we do a she deck? That'd be really fun. And and he said, look, I just don't really have any contact with the she, and I don't, you know, have much interest there, and I'm developing this, what we call incarnational spirituality. And But then... We were working on another deck, actually, that never was published, and one of the cards was 
connection to the she. And um, I was talking to David about it and stuff, and he said, no, no, I'm not interested. And then and then um, this she being Mariel approached David and said, would you would you do a card deck for us? And she laid it all out. She basically said, look, there's a stone circle, and then there's dancer cards around it, and here's kind of, um, you know, what the structure of it is, and and would you do it? And David said, well, I'll talk to Jeremy. Let me, let me see. <laughs> so he called, and he said, would you be interested? And I said, well, sure. And then I started looking at, you know, what, what kind of imagery would be there, and I had, what's an interesting thing about the story for me is I had never done any um, color art right. uh, in my life. I had never painted, basically. Exactly. Um, I, I had done architecture, but that's a much different thing with drafting and things and pencils. Yes, <laughs> I yes. Did. So I was in my office one day, and I felt this presence of a being in back of me, and he said here's what we'd like the center card to look like. And he sketched out in my mind this, uh, what, what is in the card deck is the how. And he said, that's what we would like. And I said, wow, that's kind of cool. We could do this. And no, he said, no, this, this is what I want. <laughs> he was very specific. Mm-hmm. And so I, having never been an artist, I, my daughter, who had done a couple of card decks for me before, was an artist, and she's an architect in Los Angeles. And... So Deva said, no, I can't do it, Dad, because um, I have my new little grand... I had, she just had my new little granddaughter, Nyla. Mm-hmm. So, so I hired another artist and, and had, the, had the work done. And, and when I got it back, I, it just didn't quite carry the energy that I had felt from this from the she visitation. So I started to... I, my wife had some watercolors, and I started kind of sketching it out, saying to, because I was going to find another artist to do it, you know, try it, somebody else. And I got all done with it, and I thought, you know, that isn't half bad. You know, it actually does convey the the feeling of what I was was trying to convey. Yes. And then, and then, so this would happen, and then David called and said, well, here's, here's the outline of the deck, and I thought, wow. So he went away, actually, he went to, on a trip, and I um, started painting. And I painted the, the stone circle. I painted all the, all the, the gate, the, you know, there's four gateways, and there's, there's eight other, other um, stones, standing stones, and then there's the center how. And I did that while he was away, and I went back to him after he came back, and I showed it to him, and you could sort of, just as we were laying them out, you could just feel the energy start to build. And you could feel this portal starting to develop. And it was like a very interesting um, energy form. And, you know, the she for me have a very specific signature because they're, they're unlike a, like an angelic energy, and they're not exactly a nature being. There's a, something else. There's, there's, a, there's a, at least in my contact with them, there's a kind of physicality and awareness of our world in terms of telepathy that they've been very, com- from, from my contact, have been very comfortable with language. Huh. So it's been an interesting... Um, expand on that, expand on that. What, what language, what language do you share? Well, How do you do that? Of, it's, it's 
the language of words and ideas, mostly it's ideas, I should say, and imagery. So when we were doing the, so we had these stone circle, but but the deck, the original deck is 33 cards, and the stones are thir- there's thir- there's 12 of 12 standing stones, you know, with gates and and a center card of the how, and then there's the the rest of the cards are what are called dancer cards. So while we were David and I were developing this deck, typically I would wake up in the night with an image and an idea. So so one I'll just give an example of that. When um, one night I woke up and there's the flipping coin, and I thought, well, what's that? <laughs> and then the but behind this idea of a behind this image of a flipping coin was this idea of probability and how the subtle worlds can affect probabilities. So what they were really communicating is is there's a there's a the the contact with the she there's a there's a the the energy of the she or the the presence of the she can actually affect to some degree synchronicities and probabilities. Ooh, that's so, delicious. Yes, and um, so that was just one image. So that became one of the cards, the flipping coin, but it also has references to the butterfly effect and chaos theory and sort of, you know, other other imagery around that of luck and, and stuff like that. So that's how these cards developed. Every one of these, and sometimes I would have this, you know, some strange image. One One image was a stone with the head of a falcon. And these are somewhat mysterious images. You know, they have... You know, there's there's this idea that within stone is the ability to fly. There's there's a fluidity there, but but there's there's um, so each one of these these um, what we call the dancer cards also have have deep meaning to them. And David sometimes would get the same image or the same idea, and we would talk over the image and we'd say, you know, here's here's what I think they're asking, and 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 then we would. You know, also talk to Mariel and get confirmation. So, so that was, um, and then we had when we finished all of those, we had thirty-three cards and we had all these dancer cards. <laughs> David had them lined up on his desk, and a different a she being would would show up and describe the card and say, "This is what it feels like." You know, this is what its meaning is, yes. and they would have these pithy stay, sayings. So, in the in the card deck of the she in the book. You have all these kind of pithy sayings um, around the cards because this this lineup of different she came and they were just delighted, you know, to to be able to do this. So so that was a lot of fun. Say a pithy pithy thing that's in there. Well, I'd have to look at one here. Let me let me let me find one. So here's speaking of synchronicity. I just turned to the tossing coin. Oh, exactly. Let me, let me read the description of the tossing coin, though. Okay, that's good. The coin has been tossed in the air, and it's flipping over and over, its final outcome uncertain, while around it butterflies flutter their wings, setting unknown potentials into motion. And, you know, I have to look in the book as where, where these... Uh... Oh, here, here's one. Okay. okay here's, the, here's the bard stone. Um, actually, this is... Um, this is a being that came to me when I was doing the because I did most of the stones and David did the more of the um, the dancers the stones voice and this is the bard um, it's a heart stone 
And the keywords are vision, goals, connections, relationships, engagement, stories, and, men and memory. So the stone's voice, a she voice, who will dance with me to hills beyond? Who will listen to foundation stones? Who will sing with me of friends so fond? Who will help to build anew with bones? So that's, mm. you know, these are kind of enigmatic. They can mm -hmm. be kind of, you know, kind of fun to play with. The, the deck was designed to be, you know, stimulating the imagination um, as well as, you know, it's not, it's not instructive so much as it is, you know, a gateway to communicate, to, to collaborate and to be creative. Yes, because uh, uh, you say you, you, you can use the cards to, to sort of kickstart stories, to imagine, deep imagined stories, and uh, sort of sit around the fire, even the cyber fire, and tell stories. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, to me, the imagination is a doorway into some of the subtle connections. You're always, your imagination is always at work even when you're, you know, just looking at a bird, you know, outside on the bird feeder or, you know, looking at a flame or something, you know, the imagination. But it's also a tool in some ways to kind of kickstart the connection to uh, deeper deeper realms and other subtle subtle realms. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a way of opening up the imagination to connect with a, another, another branch of being. And then you can use the cards as oracle as well. That's, that's right. They can also, um, in, in my experience and the experience of a lot of other people now, because I, you know, people write me and, and I, um, is that they can be quite um, informative, actually. If you lay out a stone circle, you know, the, the deck is based on actually something that David has, David Spangler has done with two other decks too, and that is, The stone circle actually sets up a field. It sets up a, a safe zone or an alliance space or whatever right. you want to call it. That once, once you imagine the stone circle, and to me it's a real thing, it's a real place in the, in the subtle worlds. So once you can step into that stone circle by laying out and imagining the cards, or you know, by laying out the cards, it just helps the imagination. Then you can stand in that place, and when you do that, you, you really do start to affect synchronicity and start to affect what, what works as, in terms of the oracle. So what, what comes up can be pretty interesting. At least that's my experience. Well, it sounds like these uh, beings are bringers of aliveness because it, it must have been really so beautiful for you to discover that you could download these images and actually execute them. Yes, yes. It was the execution part that, <laughs> that surprised me. In fact, my kids said, Dad's been holding out on us. You know, he, he never showed <laughs> us that he could be an artist. <laughs> you know, here I'm 60-something, and <laughs> he said, well, wait a minute, why would you start doing that? <laughs> so it was funny. Yes. Um, But I, had, I, I want to say one other thing about yes. the, the she themselves, because at one level this is fun, and it's, uh, it's interesting. It says something about who we are and what we're capable of. But 
the she also have a reason for making this contact. And, you know, they, they see a world that we have created that has issues. And some of those issues are starting to reverberate into some of the more subtle dimensions, too. They probably already ha- always have, but mm-hmm. even more so than before. And also, humanity is at a cusp of um, a new emergence of, of, of uh, a more a deeper awareness of of our connection to the living environment, the, what we call Gaia, what people call Gaia. Yes. So that's that's what's happening, and the she think say to us that they have something to say about how. Um, humanity can can lovingly relate to the rest of the world, the environment, you know, the living environment, mm-hmm. because they see the, the environment as alive and conscious and sentient. They also say that humanity, from our side, has something to offer and gifts back to the she, which is our understanding of matter and our understanding, well, uh, there's, there's, there's gifts going both ways, let's put it that way. It's, it's a mutual relationship. It's not just, oh, does she have going you know, to tell us how to live? Does she have things that mm-hmm. they know about? They have deeper contact with some of the more cosmic energies. We have deeper contact with some of the more uh, physical energies. And together we, you know, uh, well, together we form a, a bigger whole, a, a, a more beautiful expression of what humanity can become, more artistic, more joyful, more connected to nature, more connected to each other, and, and hopefully more loving. Well, at this time, it, uh, it seems to me that we definitely need all the allies and all the tools that uh, we can discover. So, say we don't have the, the deck of cards which I encourage people to get, but say we don't have it. And at this crucial moment, we'd like to learn and transmit to the she's. What would you suggest? Well, there's, there's lots of books on the material. I've published several. What, what I would suggest is, even if, the, even if now to me, the, the she are actual living beings <laughs> with different ideas and they, you know, with different, different um, contexts. But even if it's a metaphor, even if it's just a story about our ability to be, to be more sensitive to the life of the planet and more generous and honoring of the ecology as it is and not just kind of strip it away, that would be a very valuable thing. Just, just treating it as a, you know, as a, as a story, but also a story that says something about who we are. But one can certainly imagine a stone circle and ask um, if there's any, just to stand in that stone circle, appreciate the feeling of safety that it creates and um, that invite anyone that wants to come in to, to contact you with the caveat that whatever being shows up needs to honor your um, identity and sovereignty and individuality and freedom. Mm-hmm. That, 
that's inviolable. You know, you, you hold to that. You're not being asked to told what to do. You're asking for friendship. And that's an important point to me. But, but so that's, that's one connection. But I, I, I think that's what's important is that we begin to recognize and honor the life that we find around us. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever it is manifested for us, because mm-hmm. some people might be sensitive to the she, many people are. They they seem to be relatively easy to contact. <laughs> if I can do it, I suppose <laughs> I can do it. And you know that that's one thing. But but people have different sensitivities, and lots of people are sensitive to to nature and to growing things and to animals, uh, their pets, and to honor and appreciate that as a life form that is also an expression of the sacred, It's in a, it, just as we are, and to offer it its space in the world, whatever it is, you know, it's a tree in the backyard or a chipmunk that runs around the, Beautiful. or an eagle flying yeah. or whatever it is, and say, you know, I, you're, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're mm-hmm. my companion. Um, in this world, you help make the, the world whole. And for that, I honor you and bless you and, and want to help you live your life. You know? yeah. I, I want to ask you, hope springs eternally. It seems that we're at a moment where a group of people who are, so to speak, managing the world we live in, are treating Gaia as if she was an abstract object. How do you live with that? I mean, what I'm saying, I live, it, it's very hard for me to live with that on a daily well, basis. It, it, I must say it's very hard for me, too. Um, I, I find this particular time in our history a challenging one, and I know lots of sensitives and lots of um, people including most of my family, who are having a hard time. Um, I think one thing that's happened is, is that the inner, the subtle worlds are roiled. And, you know, it's, it's actually in some ways a little more difficult right now because there's so much fear being, well, actively generated and actively uh, stoked that... It, 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 it's a difficult time in our history to be sanguine about the whole thing. You know, on the other hand, um, what it does do okay. is it says to people, life as we know it, um, continuing on the path that we're on is not acceptable. And I love this. A women's march after the the inauguration, yeah, where you had millions of of people, mostly women, over over the whole world, yeah, out and saying uh, these are our values. And what was so striking, it was joyful, but what also was so striking, it was completely non-violent. Exactly, and that was very encouraging to me. That and all of my daughters had participated, and my granddaughters, had, you know, I was like, wow. And I, that was unexpected to me. And I was, I was, and I went downtown in this little Traverse City, but, but um, you know, that was uh, an amazing event. And I think there are hopeful signs. 
out of the compost that we've definitely created, there's there's possibilities. I take it as a as a basic axiom that nothing is ever lost, that no condition is ever so terrible that something good cannot grow out of it and and because of it in some ways. And I think that we will see in the future something good growing out of all of this. How long that will take is up to us, but I really do feel that that humanity is reaching a point where we can reach out not only to the she but to other beings and other life and each other that together we could make a whole new world, a whole new um, expression of the sacred on on what is still a sacred, you know, what Carl Sagan called the pale blue dot, this beautiful jewel in the sky, mm-hmm. um, well, in, the, in space. And I, I still believe that that will emerge. And we're all in it for the long run. I don't know if, when it'll happen, but <laughs> you keep working at it. And um, I think something like you're doing with, with your show, Joanne, it, you know, you're, you, you don't know what, what the what the tipping point is you don't know what the this discussion triggers in some you don't know and you you keep plugging away and um right i think something good will emerge well this woman um this woman rebecca solnit i went to listen to the other day she said this wonderful thing she said we don't know what we do does that's a wonderful phrase. And the thought that was music in it, you know, we don't know what we do does. Yeah, we don't know what we do that. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't. And you don't. Um, you know, it, it would, you know, Galileo didn't know what he was doing. You know, he was just there and he was being persecuted and everything else. And, and on it goes. I mean, there's all these stories in the past where people have, and I, I think that's probably true of spiritual teachers and it's true of scientists and it's true of, you know, just about everybody. You know, you do the best you can and and who knows, you know. But I I am sure that the work that you're doing has positive effect. And and you too, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. So may the, may the she be with us. Yes. Yes. And may the blessings of the she go with everyone who hears this broadcast and this, uh, this work. And may you be blessed. Thank you so much. Well, I will ask you, though, if you'd like to take a pause and uh, is there something you'd like to say to bring this conversation around? Well, I... I think I've probably um, uh, said everything I want to say. Um, I, I do offer my blessings, and uh, the blessings on behalf of the she to whoever is listening. You know, there's there's lots of resources, like uh, we were talking about with Lorian, um, the Lorian Association. There's resources there, and but there's lots of resources in lots of different places. That's the wonderful thing about the, the modern society is you can... You can, uh, you know, you have access to the all of the wisdom of all of the ancients, or not all of them, but a lot of them, um, and that's a wonderful thing. Well, I might uh, uh, finish with a sentence from the, your book, from the 
the book of cards. And it, I'm not sure it's in one of yours. It could be in one of David Spangler's pieces. But it says, the world I wished for was gestating within me and within the earth. So, yes, it is. It is, and it's our job to help uh, nurture it so that it can gestate and it can grow and it can uh, follow its natural tropism to follow the sun and to express itself in a joyful way. Thank you, Jeremy Berg. Till next time. Thank you, Joanna. My pleasure. Oh, yes, mine too. <laughs> 